10-5, he's into the end zone, touchdown Arkansas State. Deflected into the hands of Feltz, Avery for three, hits! Cover is safe, the Red Wolves have walked it off! Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else, Matt Stoltz and Brad Bobo. And we welcome you in to the Second to None Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Matt and Brad with you, and we've got an interview we're really excited about coming up here in the next few minutes. Our good friend Darius Dunaway going to be swinging by from the Northeast Arkansas Fellowship of Christian Athletes, works really closely with both the football and men's basketball teams, but also a former A-State football player, and Darius has a lot of great Man. stories about uh yeah, he wasn't a five and five guy, but he played for four different head yeah, coaches yeah. at A State. After a redshirt year, he went four for the next four. So, yeah, plenty to talk to. Looking very forward to that. Some A State notes to get to from this past week. The new vice chancellor for intercollegiate athletics, Jeff Purinton, is officially on campus now. His first day was last week, and. You know, he didn't waste any time. He was at the local restaurants and posting on social media about that. And he was over at J-Towns the other day. And then I thought one thing that we saw on social media as well that was really cool was Jonesboro Mayor Harold Copenhaver got all the Northeast Arkansas mayors together and gave Jeff Purinton a chance to kind of talk about his vision and what he'd like to see from northeast arkansas cities as far as getting behind arkansas state athletics well and he got a chance to you'll know, get on the golf course which i know is uh, he made clear was something he likes to do and he was really one of the one of the big uh tournaments around here during the course of the summers the rumble on the ridge and he was out there in that too so yeah he's just uh hit the ground running which is probably uh no surprise uh, welcome to jeff purinton and we look forward to having him on this podcast very very mm-hmm. soon meanwhile the athletic year officially over now for a state athletics Bennett Pascoe competing in the 3,000-meter steeplechase at the NCAA Outdoor Championships this past weekend in Eugene, Oregon. He actually qualified, posting a good time in a semifinal run last Wednesday. Then on Friday, ran in the finals. He finished 12th in that event. So he's an All-American for the second straight year. The only distance All-American in program history, and now he's done it twice. The first A-State track and field athlete to repeat as an All-American in any men's track event uh, since Jalen Bacon did it back in 2017 and 2018. Yeah, he was an automatic qualifier into the finals, finishing fifth in his heat. And you say, well, fifth, well, it's an interesting mindset. And I talked with him about it and also you know, Coach Jesse Duvall has done a great job with cross country and those distance runners. Fifth was the same as first, right? It was just about be- – all you needed to do is be in the top five. So he got up there and ran fifth to qualify for the final. And yeah, is now two-time All-American. Meanwhile, big weekend for A-State football. They hosted two prospect camps this past weekend. Also hosted a seven-on-seven tournament with 24 teams in it. And more than 1,000 athletes were on campus. So big 
credit to Coach Jones, our buddy Matt Wilson, who was on this podcast last week. They did a great job organizing this, and obviously to have that kind of turnout says a lot. Yeah, and listen, it's not it's not that you had a thousand guys that could play at Arkansas State there, but you might have had some, and you might have had, but and maybe it's younger players that aren't going to play anywhere in college football, but they can come up and now you know had the experience of going, and maybe they grow up Arkansas State fans, or you had a thousand kids who are going to be deciding whether or not to go to college and where to do it and they're on the campus of arkansas state so the reasons to do things like that are, are plentiful and glad to see uh the coaching staff have such a, a good response all right we're going to take a time out when we come back darius dunaway will join us here on the second to none podcast presented by simmons bank when we play today we win something bigger than ribbons or trophies we win our tomorrows wherever we play Wherever we fight, wherever we overcome odds, we're winning our way. Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future. Seasons are short, but fierce is forever. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. And we welcome you back into the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Matt and Brad with you as we're joined in studio now by our good friend and representative from the Northeast Arkansas Fellowship of Christian Athletes and former A-State defensive lineman, Darius Dunaway. How you doing, Darius? Doing great, brother. I'm glad to be able to come and hang out with you guys for a little bit. <laughs> we got a lot to talk about with you because there's a lot of ground to cover, not only from the FCA side, but obviously being a, a former football player at yeah. A-State. And you just have an amazing story that I know a lot of people still haven't heard yet. Mm. So we want everybody to kind of know your story. But mm. we'll start kind of on the football side. You were a player from 2009 to 2013, mm-hmm. redshirted that 09 season, and then played four years after that. So mm-hmm. You were there kind of in the middle of that crazy time. You played for four different head coaches at A-State. That's right. I did, surprisingly. that's I avoided some schools because they had a new program, a new coach, and came to Arkansas State and didn't know I had four different coaches. <laughs> so you played for Coach Roberts. Yep. You came in under him, and mm-hmm. then Coach Freeze. Gus Malzahn. Coach Malzahn and Coach Harson. Coach Harson, yeah. That's right. And then Blake Anderson came in as I was leaving out. How crazy is that? <laughs> what did you learn from that experience? That it was, it's a whole lot more than just coaching. It had a lot to do with um, the players, the, like the guys like Tom Castellaw and Demario Davis and um, so many other guys as well who helped keep our program together, pull guys aside and players only meetings and set goals. And um, we had a great relationship with each other to where we wanted to perform more for each other than for anybody else. And um, that still brought us a lot of success. And through all that adversity, you drew closer as teammates. Mm-hmm. And just being around Philip Butterfield as much as we have over the course of the last year, we've grown more close with him than ever before. Mm-hmm. And one thing he talks about a lot is just how close you guys still are oh, as yeah. former teammates. In fact, he talks about a really big text group that you guys have. <laughs> yes, like literally, we it's every day. We text each other every day. 
And it's crazy. It's about 30 plus people in the text group from all years when they came in and years that they finished up. And we just we text and stay in touch on different things. I mean, sometimes it's super, super simple gifts that's being sent. Or sometimes it's super deep in detail. Like, hey, how can we pray for you? Or what, what do you guys need? If you're in my city, let me know how, so I can so I can help you. I can host you. You know, like when we go to Ohio State this year. One of our players, um, Isaiah Shepard, who played Faith State, is from Ohio. And he's like, hey, I'm coming to the game. I'm going to come support you guys. If you need to come by and hang out, um, come see me. Like, you know, things like that. It's, it's, it's pretty impressive to see the connection we still have. Who's the funniest guy in the group? Oh, it's kind of hard, man. You got a guys like Gregory McCall. Who we, we used to call him Sweat. I don't know if you remember him. Sure, I remember him. Hilarious, hilarious guy, man. We got Tim Starson, who's also hilarious <laughs> as well. I mean, there's a, I mean, Elroy Brown. <laughs> I mean, several guys who are just, you know, we got Chico. We got, I mean, I can go down a list. It's, it's a lot of guys, and it's hard to uh, pick just one. Philip and oh, Applin and Applin, Demario. Stock, they're, they're all in this. Yep, Taylor Stockman, Demario Davis. I mean, G, I mean, Jeremy Gibson. All of us are all in this group. If you can think of them, they're probably in this group message. It's a lot of a lot of laughs when you're in that group message for sure. It, it's really cool that you guys are so close, and and I know there's some relationships that are, are closer than others. Just before we sat down, you were getting a phone call from. <laughs> Jabari McLennan, yep. certainly one of our favorites over mm-hmm. the years. But guys like Demario Davis and Brandon Joyner, mm-hmm. I know you had extremely close mm-hmm. relationships with. Kind of take us back to the roots of, of those friendships yes. and meeting them here at Arkansas State. Well, I'll never forget meeting Brandon Joyner, of course. He got he has a story that um, if you hadn't heard, you got to definitely hear it. But um, when Jonah came in from junior college, um, I thought, man, he's a defensive end like me, so we're going to be in the same room. I need to get to know this kid. And as I'm getting to know this guy, I'm thinking, this dude is crazy. <laughs> this dude, <laughs> he is a nut. But, man, God used him because um, early on, he was it was kind of hard to figure him out uh, because he came in. He was a big, big, big-time joker. He's also a big-time joker in the group as well. But once you got a chance to see uh, see his heart, get to know him, man, it's, it's, a, it's the kind of guy you want to be around all the time. Outside of him joking so much, but, man, he has a big, pure heart uh, full of love, and um, he wants the best for you. So meeting him in, in less than a year time, we were, we were super close, getting a chance to get the word together as well some and hang out and got a chance to pour into him quite a bit um, at Arkansas State, which is phenomenal. Even with DeMario, I watched DeMario's life completely drastically change at A-State. DeMario used to let me borrow his car, his um, black Chevy Malibu, to go home to Louisiana because I had no car at all. Wow. And he just told me, man, listen, don't mess up my speakers, man. <laughs> don't, don't mess that, up. That my was the only rule. Don't mess up the speakers. Don't mess up the speakers. And I said, listen, I'm gonna keep gas and I'm gonna keep it clean. So I don't care about that. I want you. Don't mess up my speakers, D-Way. I said, okay, I won't mess up your speakers. So he trusted me enough to let me take his car from Arkansas all the way to Monroe, Louisiana, back home to see my family for a weekend. You know, it just kind of explains the relationship he had because Demario, like I said, I watched his life change and continue to grow. I watched him sell everything he had. One year, because yeah. he was just so convicted that he wanted to continue to grow closer to Christ with no distractions. So I watched him sell his TV, his games, his everything, and donated to um, uh, Athletes in Action. And um, I watched him, you know, just literally go from one person to a whole new person, and it, it, it was amazing to see. I love Demar. I still talk to him to this day. Yeah, all those guys. I yeah. mean, you guys just have incredible faith stories. Absolutely. And we'll get into yours here in just a minute, but you hear it with. DeMario mm-hmm. and just that relationship and how he completely turned his life around. And you see now the kind of man he is. Absolutely. The kind of representative he is 
not only for Arkansas State, but for his faith, for in everything he does, while being one of the best linebackers in the NFL. Mm. I also remember you telling me a story of how crazy he was oh, yes. getting ready for games. We see the intense competitor he is, mm-hmm. but his stories are kind of legendary. Oh, absolutely. One day I, I watched him. People were looking. They were probably too nervous to say something to him about it because they are like, what is this guy doing? I looked at him, and he was punching the brick wall. He wasn't like nailing it, hitting it pretty hard. He was, but he was hitting it hard enough for you to get his, for you to get his attention if he was walking by. And I'm like, I'm going, I'm gonna ask him what he's doing. <laughs> and so I walk up to him and I'm like, Demario. He's like, What's up, brother? I'm like, You punching a brick wall right now? Like, what, what are you doing? He said, The Bible calls us to defeat, defeat our flesh, man. And I wanna, I'm, I'm just trying to slowly work on defeating my flesh, man, every day. I thought. I ain't never thought about doing that <laughs> to be my flesh, <laughs> but that's just the, that's just the drastic measures he was willing to take just to continue to be um, a better version of himself. And but you talk about pregame before we go out to the field. Listen, that dude he can he can make you run into a, a brick wall with his skills of motivating and getting you got getting guys pumped up and ready. I remember before the even before the season started in 2000, um, 2012, the year we won the conference, but his his senior year, his last year playing. He said, before we even got into our first practice, I want you to think about this moment right now. You see this? You may not see it in my hand yet, but this is the champ- This is the Sunbelt Championship trophy that we're going to raise up at the end of the year. You know, and This is just all players circling around each other. And he talked about what it was going to take as far as the preparation, the sacrifice, the things we're going to have to give up to, in order to get that at the end of the season. And it was just amazing to see all that come to fruition as he spoke that over us uh, before the season even started. Before he even started summer training, he spoke this over us. So it's just he's a phenomenal, phenomenal leader phenomenal friend you see that still i mean carries that same role with the saints right now i know so let me speak in leaders i want to kind of go rapid fire with a couple here okay which head coach's leadership style suited you best Ooh. so i would say hugh freeze actually first off i love steve roberts hugh freeze and steve roberts be like right tit for tat and literally steve roberts it was all steve roberts guys that he mm-hmm. brought in that brought about those different championships as well so steve roberts of Oh, great yeah. recruiter, you know, and um, also a great. Pro- I still talk to Steve Roberts as well, like yeah. all the time. So I would say we Hugh Free, Steve Roberts, right there with each other. Gus Malzahn, phenomenal mind, phenomenal skills as well. Um, you had guys, you had Hugh Freeze playing Chris Tomlin doing practice. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> that stuff we had never seen before, and you know, and he, you know, he's the kind of guy that that wouldn't switch. He can, he can, he can pull out some emotion in you without even cussing at you. You know, <laughs> so he knew how to challenge you in ways while also what what. What didn't make you feel less of a man, you know? So I, I have high respects for that. I, I respect the man that cares about you as a person before you as a player. And I can say I saw that 100% of Steve Roberts and also Hugh Freeze for sure. What about D line coaches? What those those guys you worked with? I had a lot. So one of the scariest D line coaches I ever had in my life, I'll never forget him, was Kevin Peoples. I knew it was tough. One of the scariest guys I've ever met in my life as far as a coach. But but you loved him. Though. Love him to death. He was a technician. Like he he was the guy who he took the when you say details, he meant he was serious about the details. He had me doing things like walking around when I walked through a door frame, I was doing defense line moves. Like he had me freaked out on making sure I got these things in my head, ingrained and in my blood almost. <laughs> Cause he was a guy that took that stuff very serious. And I had high respect. I only had him for a year, but the impact he had my freshman year alone changed my whole game, yeah. my whole my whole view towards being a defensive lineman. Like I, I was like, if I knew this in high school, man, oh wow. 
intelligent guy, great guy to be around, um, very intense guy as well, you mm-hmm. know. And then you have guys like Coach Kenny Ingram as well, who is a phenomenal guy, another man who who starts his whole D-line meetings with um, Daily Bread, where we get into the Word before we do anything, you know. And he yeah. asks different guys who want to lead it. And, of course, I was always guy volunteering to, to lead it. But, you know, stuff like that you don't see much in, in coaches. And those things I value more than anything else is because mm-hmm. the reality is only 1.5% of people in the defense, you know, in, in D1 make it to the next level. So what about the other 98.5% of people? Who's going to point to that that part? You know, who's going to help us be better husbands and fathers uh, when we leave here? I saw that, that care and concern from Coach Ingram that yeah. keeps my relationship with him wide open you know we had Trey Scott as well who's at Georgia now who's a GAD line coach with us and actually at one point in time I had to take over when we had so much so many turnover and he was phenomenal as well too you know great guy to be around great mm-hmm. guy to talk to as well players coach you know so I'm, I'm not surprised he's having as much success as he's having because he's very very good at what he's doing as far as player leadership oh man I I can go down a list from like Demario Davis to to Tom Castellaw, of course, Greg McCall, um, Jeremy Gibson is another solid leader as well. I mean, oh, man, I, I, I feel bad I'm leaving guys out. Of course, Philip Butterfield and um, Stockhammer, all these guys. We had guys in almost every position that we can look at and say, okay, I trust you in my life. You can lead me through anything and I'm going to follow you. You know, Almost every position we had a guy like that. So we know kind of you talk about how you guys as players, it galvanized you, the constant turnover, but – you're in your line of work, but for all the rest of these guys in whatever field they got into, what do you learn from my experience of having a the head coaching spot rotate every year? I would say what I learned the most from that is um, the only thing in life that's consistent is change. So change is going to happen. It's how you respond to change mm-hmm. um, is what's the, big, the biggest difference that's made. One thing that when those turnovers continue to happen, we had guys that, that, that will pull you in closer players that will pull you in close and say hey look this that's not going to change the goal that's not going to change the standard that's not going to change anything that we've we've um we put in place for this program right the pro our program is going to continue on regardless of who's coaching us and w- so not saying that the coach wasn't important uh, the coach is very important um but the coach is not gonna go out there and play for you the coach is not going to go out and execute whatever play they may call so what we learned is it's actually more on the players than it is on the coaches. The coaches is giving you the um, the recipe. We got to go actually put it together, mix it, up, mix it up, and cook it, and do all the taste testing, right? <laughs> you know. So it's more on us than it is on coaches. Well, we laugh, but that that's a very good analogy. Yeah. Hank, yeah. let me one more before we shift okay. this because you, know, you you come here. Coach Roberts brings you in. Mm-hmm. You guys you play for him your red shirt freshman year. Then there's a change. Mm-hmm. Coach Freeze is already around, so he right. gets the job. Boom. Runoff conference championship. Crazy. He leaves. Yeah. Here comes Gus Malzahn. <laughs> By the time that season ends, I mean, you guys, did you just, had you sort of been there and done that? Did you just assume, well, he's gone too? I mean, what, what was the player mindset at the end of that I wish second I can, championship season? I wish I can tell you the, um, <laughs> the full details of that. But every year when it came to that date, it was the same day. Every year when the coach will give us all that message, hey, um, there's a team meeting at <laughs> this time. We we all oh, knew. December 2nd, December yeah, 3rd, yes. every year somewhere Every year. That. It was the same day around the same time. God was like, hey, guys, get ready. 
This is coming up. All right, we we're not new to this. We've seen it happen. Let's go in, do what we gotta do, and move on from there. Like literally, it was almost like we were we were planning for it to happen rather than yeah. wait. We were how about this? We were prepared, not surprised. <laughs> if that makes sense, we yeah. were more prepared for it than surprised by it. And when we got into the meeting, it was you know every coach came in almost the same way, tears in their eyes, talking about their love for the program, love for us as players, which I think that was genuine. But and also talked about. Get an opportunity to do something more for their family, which is which is what we all want. We all want to be you know be better and be, do things more for our family. Um, so we couldn't be mad. We just we understood and we was like, okay, who's next? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. So we've covered a lot as far as football, and we could keep going <laughs> yeah. for a long time with that. Uh, as far as all the great stories there, but I, I want to tell your story or give you an opportunity to tell your story. Your, your hometown is listed as Monroe, Louisiana. Were you born there? <laughs> yeah, born and raised in Monroe. Now, that's the difference from West Monroe and Monroe. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Most people don't understand that. But, yes, I was born and raised in Monroe, Louisiana, in a single-family home. I say single-family. My, my pops left when I was about two months old. And it was me, my brother, who was a year older than me, and my mom. And, of course, couldn't afford to live in nice housing, so we lived in what they call a fancy term for government housing. We lived in the projects, mm-hmm. right, where things were affordable, where the rent was based off the income, and it was rough, very rough. Did you know it was rough? Absolutely. Very very quickly I knew it was rough because um, for a long time we, we saw things that kids our age didn't have seen. My brother had to become the man of the house very, very, very early who had to teach me things that you would think a father would teach a child. And we've seen things as far as drug drug deals being done. I mean, the level of violence, you would be surprised if I, if I told you as a kid what I've seen. I've seen guys walking around with sawed-off shotguns. I've seen a woman shoot a man, her husband, in the chest uh, in front of me as well. Mm. I've seen things, and this is before I was 10 years old. I've seen all kinds. I had, I had a gun under my mattress before I was 10 years old at one point. So it's it was very abnormal to see the things we saw to where we – we every night we had to we had to think okay what do we gotta do to make sure we get through this night almost um it was it's pretty sad to see but it's, you, oh sorry but did, like did you have a basis of knowledge that that not everybody had to deal with that oh no I, I that was or that just was, think that's just that's how it was I thought that was a new it was a normal for us um I thought man this is what everybody gotta do <laughs> you know that's actually parts of Monroe I didn't I didn't even know existed um, because because uh, I stayed in the south side of Monroe. And I realized I had never really been on any other areas of Monroe at all um, because we didn't we didn't have a vehicle and things like that. Um, and when we did have access to a vehicle, most times it was either bus bus transportation and we was going to a place like Walmart and coming back. Uh, if my granddad would take us somewhere, he would take us up the road to Captain D's and kind of bring us back or to his house. So we didn't really go on other sides of the of Monroe. So I didn't really see much of Monroe at all. And I thought for a long time that that was the normal. Everybody has to do this. Most most people in the neighborhood I lived and grew up with didn't have a father at all. No, you said your grandfather was around. My grandfather, man, he, man, you talking like he did everything he could to take care of me and my brother. I mean, like he 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 saved me in a lot of ways as well too, from getting involved in the drugs and the alcohol and the things I experienced, uh, or selling it as well. My granddad would have me come to his house to mow his cut grass already. He, to, just to put money in my pocket <laughs> to wash his clean trucks you know like I mean, literally he would he would do anything he could to keep us from getting into the lifestyle that we, we saw um, on weekends I would ask him Papa can I come stay with you uh, for the weekend and he would 
after, and I didn't I didn't realize what my night shift was until my granddad would come and see me with red eyes. I'm like, why are your eyes always red? Why are you always tired? He always falling asleep whenever he bring me to the house. And I realized he was working night shift every almost every other night. And um and he was still doing his his duties almost as like as a father, picking us up and bringing us out of what we thought was normal into his home to hang out and spend time with him. Even if even though he fell asleep most times, it was it was great for us. What's your mom? What's she do? I mean, she was having to provide for everybody. So, I mean, mom is a soldier. Um, mama don't play. Mama, uh, I'm telling you, she's you know five eleven. I mean, so I was I was afraid for any man that tried to <laughs> step up against my mama because she was. That's where I got my toughness from. I tell you, she she held it down as a deaf woman because you know my mom's deaf. You would have never known that because she made things work. You know, she mm-hmm. didn't really she couldn't really work um, at all. Until later in our life, but she used everything she could to make things work for us. We we even though we had to eat a lot of corn dogs, um, <laughs> she made sure they was ready for us. She made sure we um, we we didn't starve. Forgive me for asking this question. That's fine because it it may sound really dumb, <laughs> but I want to I want to backtrack here. Kind of your your dad leaves you two months old. Mm-hmm. You got a brother that's just a year older than you, so mm-hmm. he's you know he's barely over one. Right. So it leaves you two toddlers babies infants and uh, your deaf mother right how'd you learn how to talk well first we learned with sign language my dad's deaf too so our first language is sign language and we learned that and that was like literally um second nature to us like we didn't it was almost because that's how our mom would speak to us some most times she we would associate her words with the sign and we pick we would pick up on the sign before we pick up on the words and my granddad could hear though and my uncle that lived in texas he could hear as well uh, my aunt, because I had family that lived outside of Monroe as well, mm-hmm. they all could hear. So they would come to visit. My cousins can hear. It was just the parents that couldn't hear. So we would we would hear things. Also, the neighborhood we lived in, all of them can hear as well, too. So we may have been slow to uh, pick up on things because for me, I, I was reading on third grade level all the way up until sixth, seventh grade. And I didn't. That's I struggle. Mm-hmm. I struggle very, very badly with um, English and language arts. Um, now that makes sense yeah. considering the circumstances right. that we're under. So, but we we learn. We just kind of learn at a slower pace. I would say yeah. um, we picked up on things a whole lot slower for sure. I hated reading because <laughs> it never was pushed on me at all. All right. So, when did athletics become kind of part of the picture here, yeah. and how big of a role did that play? As far as kind of getting you out from where you were at, oh, it's a great question. So I grew up, um, I grew up pretty angry as a kid. I was never a bully, but I was more of a guy who who hated bullies, and I would I would almost bully a bully. I, my anger came from the the hate I felt towards my father for for leaving us in the situation he left us in, and um, I wanted to find a way to to fuel that hate. To get at him almost by saying, hey, you made a mistake for walking out on us and I'm going to show you that you made a mistake. And one of those ways that I felt I can do that best was um, through sports. And sports came about when I was in elementary school. First off, before elementary school, we was always playing in the parking lot, throwing footballs, tackling in the streets. I'm talking doing all kind of crazy things because we had not a whole lot more to do. Playing basketball, all those things happened before school. But as things became 
more structured in school as and I, I realized in fifth and sixth grade I was already six feet tall and I, I realized I, I may have something going here that I can <laughs> do something with so I got involved with um, basketball then and um, and also football as I got ready to transition to junior high school that's when the sports was pretty much um, organized sports was introduced to my life it was around that time fifth sixth grade so you were fueled by this hate oh yeah your dad leaving but here's, I mean, did that hatred have a face? I mean, did did you know that guy? Um, so he left when I was two months old, and he also showed up again for when I was maybe seven, briefly. I think maybe a day or two, and I didn't see him again until I was about fourteen, and that was uh, for maybe a, a a week or a week and a half, two weeks maybe. I'll say I'm being nice when I say that. Um, and he disappeared again until I was in college. Um, so he was he made a lot of promises, and um, and he would disappear. Or whatever. So, uh, of course, I understand he has he had kids everywhere else too um, that he was dealing with. I'm, I think my brother and I like we're um, two out of eight, six, or eight maybe that mm-hmm. he has. So um, that hate was fueled, but it didn't it didn't run out almost until uh, this is crazy. I gave my life to Christ in high school in 2007, but even still, I, that's one thing I couldn't get over was the hate I felt towards him. And I, it wasn't until towards the middle of my freshman year in college that I was able to let that go. And it was it's a burden that carried that held me down a, a lot actually. Well, and we see the person that you are now, and it's hard for us to even comprehend <laughs> mm-hmm. you hating anybody. You talk about how you gave your life to Christ in high school. Mm. How did this happen, and how did that just change your whole? entire outlook on everything at that point so it's a, it's a great question so um what happened was as i was getting involved in these sports i realized i was pretty decent as a player and um as i got to junior high school had a lot of success won a state championship seventh grade eighth grade basketball football i was i was pretty decent at that as well got to high school ninth grade and um of course all this is motivated by i can't wait to i see him i'm gonna show him that like, you, you made a mistake for walking out Get to high school, and my coach tells me, "Hey, you're pretty big," because <laughs> at this point I'm six four, ninth grade. Yeah, and that's high school in, in, in Louisiana. And coach says, "Hey, if you listen to me, I can I can get you to any college in the country, but you can't play wide receiver though." Because I was playing wide receiver. <laughs> can you believe that? <laughs> no, I can't believe that. <laughs> I was a receiver. Everybody thought they was receiving Louisiana, and you got to be a defensive end. I can get you to start right now as a freshman, as a defensive end on the high school level. And I thought, man, okay, because I never. Even, that's the the sad thing is I never even considered college at all because it was it wasn't the normal um, for people in the area I grew up in. It wasn't like, well, yeah, you know, from people, where you were at, yes, it that was, was probably a, yes. a different world. Getting through high school was it was like a success, you know. Uh, my best friend didn't even finish eighth grade, you know. Um, me, and my brother, best friend, he he stopped at six. I mean, seventh grade, eighth grade. In between halfway and half, halfway in eighth grade, he stopped school. So as I'm going through, I'm thinking college. I didn't even thought, think of that. Okay, let's 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 see where this goes. And I, I began to play defense line, and I, I earned a spot over a senior as a freshman at defensive end, and a lot of success came from that. I had a great freshman year, and my sophomore year was even better than my freshman year, to where I had schools from all over the country, literally coming by just to see me play, offering me opportunities to come play at their schools, to come visit, and things like that. And that was. I was on cloud nine because everything I was wanting, I was starting to see come to fruition. And I thought, yeah, this is it. And uh, one of the craziest things happened is as I'm training for my junior year, which is my big year, I'm waiting um, 
before the season starts that summer, I, um, I'm playing tight end and defensive end. I'm running routes, and as I plan to run this route, because Coach told me I want you to get out of this break sooner, I plant on an out route, try to quickly plant and, and get out of the break, and I feel my knee pop. It's probably the loudest sound I heard in my, in my life. I can still hear that pop today. I go down to the ground. I don't know what's going on because this is my first real injury. And I, I try to make my way up to my feet, and I, I can't even stand up. It was it was that bad. And coach knew it, but I had no idea. I get to the, I go to the doctor to get an MRI, an X-ray first, then the MRI done. And, of course, a day or two later, the doctor looks comes out and tells me, um, man, you, you, you've torn your ACL completely. You have to have uh, reconstructive uh, surgery. You're going to miss this whole year. I, I almost like went, went deaf for a minute. I wouldn't hear anything. It was just I saw his lips moving, but I can't really hear him because I yeah. thought everything I worked hard for, everything, all this work I put in, and it's, it's now I, I'm, I'm seeing it slip away because now Les Miles at LSU, is, he pulled this offer. I went from having lunch with him uh, at LSU to now not hearing from anybody at all when they found out I tore my ACL. And I missed my whole junior year. That point was the hardest point of my life. But actually, it was the best moment of my life. Because now, what I began to idolize, which was my sports and my performance, um, and, and, how, and how people viewed me, um, that was also a result of the hate I felt towards my father. Because um, over time, I realized it wasn't really hate. It was something else. But we'll get to that in a second. But um, I realized um, that I felt like I needed to prove myself to other people, too. Because I felt like I wasn't enough. Because my father wants to stick around, mm. so I thought I need to seek the approval of people as well, and I want to I want to make sure people have, people have a great um, perception of me. So not only was I trying to perform on the field, but I also wanted people when they saw me to go, "Oh man, this is a good this is a good dude," you know. Um, so I struggle with that too. So now that, now I'm tearing my ACL, missing out a whole year of competing in, in football. Nobody's able to give me praise. Nobody's able to able to say the things that they they were saying about me. So now I'm at a place where. What I idolized the most was taken away from me, and I was forced to listen to the message that I was, that was already being teached to me. Cause see, my grandma, she didn't play that. My grandma, um, who I re- later realized wasn't my grandma, she was just a woman who 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 waited for my granddad for several years, who never made a decision, and um, she just kind of raised us up pretty much. She lived outside of the projects in this little pink house on the side, and um, she raised us. She made us go to church every Sunday, every Sunday. She would wake us up. Come to the house with a hairbrush in her pocket, a hairbrush in her purse with some mints and two and, and four bucks. She would give me and my brother two dollars each. This is one for Sunday school. This is one for your tithe as well. Like she was consistent on us. So we we went to church a lot and we had the head knowledge uh, of who God is and, and all these things, but it wasn't a connection to the heart yet. So at this point, when the, my the thing I idolized the most was taken away from me, I was forced to listen to the message I was already hearing, and I heard yeah. a passage in Luke nine. Um, where God asked, if you want to follow me, you have to die to yourself daily and carry your cross. I'm like, what the heck? How do I how do I die to myself? How do I die to like my my goals and my 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 dreams and the things I want to do? It's not bad. I'm not on drugs. I'm not drinking. I'm not doing all this. I'm doing good stuff. But the, he, he said, you got to die to yourself daily. Pick up your cross and carry it. He said, for the one who wants to save his life will lose it, but the one who's willing to lose his life for my sake will find it. And I thought. Um, I don't know what this is, but this is something I need to I need to know more about. And in the process of things, because I was able to still do track and field that year, um, I was a high jumper. I met a guy named Hollis Conway, who was um, a, a 1992-96 Olympic silver medalist high jumper. He came to my school to introduce something called FCA at my high school. 
and I got involved with this with him and I had told him I have, I've been hearing these things and um, I would ask him questions like, hey, man, um, I heard this passage in Luke nine. I want you to tell me more about it. And he did what no other man had done at this point in my life yet. He chose to to uh, to pour into me and disciple me and invited me to his home with his, with his family. And I, where I had a meal with him, his wife, his kids and things like that. It was something I hadn't hadn't experienced before. And he's he's breaking this information down to me as far as what it looked like to die myself daily to give up myself, to trust the plans that, that I may not understand, but not understand that that's the best plans for my life, that God has the best, my best intentions at heart and mind and wants the best for me. And it took me a while, but it, it somehow it clicked and I realized, like, I can't do this by myself. I can't do this at all. So I was able to give my life to Christ and at that point, but that was I gave my life to Christ, but I wanted to hold on to the hate I, twelve, I felt towards my father. It was just crazy. Um, I said, I'll give you all of my life except this. Hmm. Let me still prove to my pops he made a mistake for leaving. It went into my freshman year that that changed, and I'll tell you more about that as well. But that's kind of how I got introduced to Christ. So where did you make, where were you made that decision? I had made the decision maybe about a week after I tore my ACL, and I got the news. Um, but the um, the action that came behind it was when I, after I talked to Hollis Conway, yeah. I spent that time with him. So I just want to know what's it like then when you know then make again the difference between the head and the heart. Yes. So you know what's in your heart. Do you get to go tell your grandma about that then? Oh, absolutely. I talked I talked to my grandma. I <laughs> talked to her last week actually. I I let her know as many times as possible. I said, "Listen, I gave you a hard time, grandma. <laughs> <laughs> I gave you such a hard time, but I want you to know that everything you said to me at the right time was what helped me continue to pursue Jesus. I I wasn't ready to receive it at that time yet." You planted the seed, someone else watered the seed, and now that seed is actually able to, to grow in my life. All right, so you made the decision as a junior. Yes. You didn't play football that year. Did not. You did come back and play your senior season, mm-hmm. and you did have several offers yes. still, yes. even though you had a lot of <laughs> offers pulled mm-hmm. after you got hurt. Arkansas State obviously was one of those offers. Yes. Your faith, I'm thinking, and... We've never had this conversation, yeah. but I'm going to ask this now. Was Steve Roberts and his faith part of the reason you chose Arkansas State? Steve Roberts, his faith, Jabari McLennan, his faith, David Gunn and his faith as well, yeah. Chuck Gaswin and his faith, Greg Mitchell, his faith, and Robbie Fowler and his faith. Big time reason why. First off, I didn't, want, I didn't even want to come to A-State on a visit because I thought I never heard of Jonesboro, Arkansas in my life. And what is a Red Wolf? Like... Literally, that's what my thoughts were because I had all, I had 17 other offers my, by my senior year alone, and some of those schools were in Louisiana, back home, not far from home. And I thought, well, I just I can stay home or I can go far farther away. And I literally, clear as day, felt my I felt the spirit tell me when things started going back good for me, don't go back to your old way of doing things. Die to yourself every day. So as I'm taking this Arkansas State uh, packet uh, that they had they had given me. This is during basketball seasons because I still was able to do basketball and track that my junior year. I throw this Arkansas State uh, pamphlet in the back of my basketball locker. I'm like, I ain't going out there. And literally, I found myself not not three days later going back to grab it. Jack Curtis was the guy who um who was my recruiter basically, and I I called him back and said, Hey, look, man, actually on the second thought, I'm I'll come on a visit. You'll be my first visit I take over any over anybody else. And man, it was the best decision I ever made. I told Coach Curtis, I said, Coach, the only thing is you have to come pick me up 
and um, you have to pick my mom, take my mom with me, <laughs> my brother and his fiance too. So we got to all come. So he, he said, "All right, I got you. I'll be there." He came and picked me up that next, that following weekend. Uh-huh. Brought me on my official visit, where Alex Carrington was my host, but he had got Defensive Player of the Year that year and had to go receive that award in Little Rock. So I had him for half a day, and then thank God I had Jabari as well. And Jabari, man, showed me. He, I mean, he was a big part of that puzzle to help me commit to Arkansas State as well because he showed me a great time as well. We went to Chuck E. Cheese for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> you came to Arkansas State, and we talked about your relationships with, with your teammates and all that, but uh, I do want to get back to the moment you referenced a couple of times mm-hmm. as a freshman, mm-hmm. letting go of that hate for your father mm-hmm. or and you said you realized it wasn't even hate right mm-hmm. how did this happen so thank thank god for this um jabari in- introduced me to a church um here in town called it was fellowship jonesboro fellowship Bible church of jonesboro at the time chuck the swim was head pastor college pastor was um uh, robbie fowler i got involved with the turn gathering uh, where there was a college ministry as a freshman, and um, and Robbie did some things that reminded me of Hollis Conway. He invited me to his home, and he just decided to pour into me and do a full-on discipleship with me. And as he got to know me and got to know my story, he realized what was taking the place of God in my life. And he shared this other story with me about a quarter into my freshman year. He, I can remember sitting in this house on the couch with him. I heard this story before because my grandma and the church I was going to, I had already knew this story. He said, I want to share a story with you. I said, okay, let's hear the story. He said, um, we're going to go to Luke chapter 15. We're going to start at verse 11. And we said, I'm like, oh, that's the prodigal son. I know that story. And he shares this story with me. And I'm like, why are you, why are you sharing this story? You know, and as he's going through, of course, I'm not going to go through the whole story now, but basically talking about this older son, I'm sorry, this younger son, older son, and how this younger son made a decision to tell his father, you know, life would be better if you were dead. Give me my share of the estate so I can go on and do my own thing, right? And the father gave it, said, you know, everything I have is yours, and he gave it to him. And he goes off and lived this life that he thought was the best life, you know, with prostitutes and you know, gambling. I mean, you think of it, he did it. And he didn't just go to a different city. He went to a different country to get farthest away from normal that he he seen. And, of course, that famine came. And when the famine came, that's when things got real for him. He hired himself out to feed pigs because he had ran out of money. And he was so hungry that he looked at the pigs and, and he saw their leftovers and wanted to eat their leftovers. That's how down bad it got for him. He made a plan to go home. And as he was far away from home, before he got home, he made a plan to say, hey, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. Um, don't call me a son again. Just let me work. Let me earn my way back in. Let me earn that privilege to be called your son again. And as he's on his way home from way off, his father saw him. And Robbie stops and says, what does it tell you about the father? I said, I don't know. He said, the father saw him from way off. And I said, I guess he was looking for him. He said, he was looking for him. The father was looking for this son who, who had did all these things to him before he left. Wished death on him, took all this stuff and left. I said, okay, keep going. Right? Maybe I didn't. Maybe I don't know the story as well as I thought I knew it. <laughs> and um, he says, um, what did he do after that? And I said, well, it looks like he ran to him. He runs to him and he, he embraces him. He kisses him. And his son is trying to say the things that he had already planned out. Like, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against against God. Just let me work for you. Let me earn my way back in. And um, the father's not even listening. He's calling the servants over to bring over the family ring, the robe, the sandals for his feet. Go get the fattest cow we got. Let's let's throw a celebration because my son was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost. and Now he's found. Let's throw a party. All right. He welcomed him back in before he can do anything else. And Robbie looks me in my eyes and says, that's the kind of father you got. Man, I, I, I still get emotional about it right now. But um. 
He said, that's the kind of father you got. You got the same kind of father that wants to run to you, embrace you, mm-hmm. give you the family ring and the robe and the push, put the sandals on your feet and um, tell you he loves you. And so, um, so no longer do you have to run from your heavenly father in, in pursuit of something something that's going to leave you empty. But you can, but you can stop and, and be embraced by the fa- this father who loves you and wants to give you everything that you always wanted. And I thought, man... That right there was what lifted that hate and the hurt I felt towards my father right then and there. Like, that's when my heart was filled with- Just the love from your heavenly father. Oh, my gosh. I mean, at that moment in time, even now, still, it overflooded my heart with so much joy. Like, I felt more um, at peace because I was carrying this for so long in my life. Didn't know it that it was it was weighing me down so much to where um, literally I wept like a baby and I heard that. It changed me. It changed me to where I realized I wasn't angry. I was I was hurt. Anger was the second secondary emotion. The first emotion was I was hurt because I didn't feel like I was enough. I didn't feel love. I didn't feel those things that I was chasing through the sports to prove him wrong. I didn't realize that I was actually I was hurt, and that was hard for me to say because I was taught the opposite growing up. I was taught to be strong. Mm-hmm. Don't let nobody see you cry. Don't let nobody see you weak. Don't let it. All these different things that goes against what God calls me to be. I was taught the opposite, and I realized at that moment in time, it's okay. So this is your freshman year. Freshman year. You mentioned when you were talking about your dad earlier that you did see him at one point in college. Mm-hmm. So how was that different than the others? So it was nine day different. Um, my freshman, when I got to college, he didn't know I took my ACL, didn't know I had surgery, didn't know any of those things at all. And um, He thought I was at Alabama. First thing, I got a text message from a random number saying, "Hey, this is your dad. Can you when can you fly me to a game?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you see okay. the reaction. The reaction uh, you guys got was the same reaction I had, but actually probably a little bit worse than that. Now mm-hmm. I said, "Yeah, I, I said, um, send, send me the address. I, 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 I wait for the ticket, All right?" And, and I, I didn't talk to him again. <laughs> but that was the last time I heard from him up until um, my senior year in college, and he he randomly showed up to a ULM game or whatever, and I saw him at ULM and. At this point, I had already, I've been being discipled for now, at this point, four, five years, and um, I, I saw him, and it was just, man, I rather than looking on him with hate, I looked on him and felt bad for what he missed out on. Like, he missed out on, on pretty much my, my own, almost my whole life. And I and I actually, it challenged me because I realized in my life, as I started to reflect, my goal was to be better than him, and I almost ended up just like him. Because I was, I was trying to, anytime I got in a relationship, I was trying to be this guy that says I'm gonna be better than my father. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and I, and that, which led me to a pitfall of making bad decisions, right? And I thought if that was, if if I were to do that in every relationship I had, how much different would I look as far as like my father? So at this point, I see him now. I feel I feel sorry for him. I feel bad for him, and I and I, I've forgiven him. And even now, I still want to have. I still haven't had that conversation with him yet. Like, hey, look, we need to talk about this, but. He knows because my first response to him, I walked up to him and I embraced him. I gave him a hug, and um, I took pictures with him, like like he's always been there and things like that. Um, I even invited him to my wedding that was going to be coming up in that December, and didn't expect him to show up, but some, somehow he, he showed up to my wedding. Wow. That's, that's the last time I seen him, <laughs> but it was in 2013. But he showed up to the wedding. I came all the way to Arkansas, uh, brought some of the kids, my, my half-brothers half and sisters as well, and we took some family pictures and things like that. And Literally, that's the last time I seen him. But um, I have no hate towards him. I, I wish the best for him wherever, he, wherever he's at, and that's part of life. I realize it's something I can change. 
Well, thank you for sharing that because that's, uh, I know, uh, deeply personal and a big part of your story Mm -hmm. as well. But you get through college and we've covered a lot of that. You start selling cars. Mm -hmm. Well, before that, I actually was a teacher. I got my degree in education. I I started teaching at Micro Society. Absolutely loved it, but I have felt a strong conviction that man, God has was pulling me in a different direction. I had no idea it was going to be selling cars, but <laughs> the funny thing on how I got to selling cars is uh, the same guy who hosted me on my visit, Jabbar McLennan, <laughs> was it was managing a dealership uh, under Ray Osmond and Kelly Copeland called Premier Auto. And I, as I was quitting this job, and me and him, me and Jabari, we met every week, every week. Um, he was my accountability partner; I was his as well. Every week we meet. All the way even to up until he just moved to Texas. And he knew I was processing these things. And he was like, hey, why are you waiting for God to kind of reveal to you what you need to do? How about you come work with me? <laughs> I said, and sell cars? What do you mean come work with you? Literally, I thought he was joking, but he hired me to sell cars. And I sold cars there for two years. And you were doing well. Oh, yeah. You were making a lot of money, right? Yes, surprisingly. Not surprisingly. <laughs> no, no. That, doesn't, that doesn't surprise no, me. No, no. I, I can see you as a very good car salesman. No. Todd Baumgartner was on this same podcast a few months back, and he told the story of how he got you out, or he was the one that was kind of led to Mm -hmm. reaching out to you to get you out of selling cars. Mm -hmm. Talk about how you go from doing that to being part of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. All right. So here's the truth. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm selling cars. And this is at this point now, two years in, I'm thinking, because I told God, I said, God, listen, I don't want I, I don't want to be here more than two years because I and, and thank God, Ray Osmond, he's phenomenal. I love Ray. Kelly Copeland. I love them. Um, they support me. They support me as far as my beliefs as well. Like if I were to tell a person who got approved for a loan, hey, you got approved, but I don't think this is a good deal for you. They you know, most people would get upset about that because I was in their eyes taking money out of the bishop's pockets. But I felt a need to tell a customer, hey, listen, you got an approval for this, but your credit is really, really bad. You'll never pay this vehicle off. You're paying almost twice the value of the vehicle. Like, you may want to go ahead and hold your down payment for another year, save up some more, get a cash car, and work on your credit, pay some of these things off, and come back when you get things in control, and we can help you. You got four other kids you got to take care of. You can't pay 500 bucks a month for this. You didn't even look at the insurance cost yet. The insurance going to probably cost you another $150 a month, and you can't afford this. I would do that often and God would still bless me with people who could afford a vehicle and I, and I still was able to sell vehicles but most people would hate that but they respected that and, and um, I loved it but as time goes on two years in I'm like yeah, okay, it was good you had good bosses yes absolutely absolutely I'm like alright what's next guy and Todd calls me see because I was always doing what I'm doing now as a student athlete, because after that happened in my life, that story I just shared with you, I thought, how many more guys are struggling with the same thing I struggle with? How many more guys are, are angry or hurt or holding on to this burden that's probably hurt, um, destroying them? And I felt a need that my purpose now is to reach these guys. Uh, um, that's why I got close with time and um, sweat and all those guys. But basically, Todd calls me years later and says, hey, man, there's a spot that's opening up. And um, man, your name keeps coming up. Well, I would love for you to consider being a, a chaplain. For us at a state, I thought, man, that's so cool. Am I like, am I qualified to do that? Like, <laughs> why me? You know. And um, he said, listen, I have asked about it, and people people think that you'd be best for this position. I said, okay, tell me more about it. And he's telling me about it. And I'm like, who would say no to this? 
I get a chance to be around athletes all day. I get a chance to tell them about Jesus and, and coaches as well. Who would say no to doing something like that? I'm like, okay, sign me up. <laughs> and he's like, well, hold on. Before you, before you jump into this thing, it's a little different. I said, what's different about that? You got to raise support. What, what you mean you got to raise support? What, what does that mean? You got to raise your salary. Like you got to go out, meet with people, sit down, mm-hmm. and you got to raise every penny. I mean, basically what you get paid. Yeah, eat what you kill. Yeah, exactly. And I said, oh, you got the, you got the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> God ain't calling me to do that. No, <laughs> no, no. I'm not going to go and beg. Oh, no, sir. That's not me. <laughs> but God convicted me. And then, like literally, I I had told Todd no. I said, ah, let me let me let me pray on it. <laughs> and um, three weeks go by, and God's convicted me. Like, man, do you trust me with your finances? I know you trust me with all these other things, but how about your finances? Do you trust that I'm gonna take care? Do you know that? I, do you really trust that I'm gonna take care of you? Like, can I be honest, guy? Like, I don't. I, I mean, I, I I I say I do, but that's part of me that don't believe that. I I don't want to. I don't like. I got my wife as well. I'm like, yeah. She's pregnant with our first son at this point. She's about to have our, we're about to have our first son. Uh, like, that's a scary <laughs> moment in life. Yeah. Yes. So I'm like, what? And God, and the conviction is real at this point. And um, I'm like, okay, God, I'll do it. After I talked to my wife, of course. <laughs> Me and my wife, we hashed it out. And then she's like, baby, I trust you. I'll follow you wherever you're going to go. I'm like, that's an amazing wife. She said that right away? She said that right away. Wow. And um, I called Ty back and I said, Ty, let's do it. He's like, What? That's it. <laughs> All right, let's do it. And I told Ray Osmond, I remember, t- and Kelly Copeland, listen, this is what God's calling me to do. And man, they, I got so much respect for them. They like, hey, how about this? While you're raising support, you keep working here until you get your support raised. Whenever you need to leave, you leave. Whenever you need to go and have a meeting with somebody, wow, you go. But when you when you're not doing that, just come work. I thought, man, that is phenomenal, and that that actually helped me as I was raising support because. There was nothing coming in from support at the time, so I had to literally do both at the same time, and they were a big time blessing in that because literally my first one of my first supporters as well. They was like, "Hey, and by the way, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be one of your first supporters," and they, they started supporting me as well. Man, so they gave me great. kickstart, you know. It's, so and and of course a year's time from there, God um allowed supporters to come in and give me enough support to get started. From there, since then it's been it's been all God that's been keeping me there. Well, kind of tell us about your role yes. now because I know you're around the football team a lot, and mm-hmm. I can't imagine there's an FCA rep anywhere in the country that does exactly <laughs> what you do with the football team because these last few years, and I know especially these last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Not only have you been the FCA guy, you've been an assistant defensive line coach. <laughs> yes, man. as well. So I got a unique role where, man, and people trust me um, at a state, which I love that, and I and I and I, I honor that as well. Like I, I'm going to cherish that. But I've been asked to um, help out with the D line as well. And so what I did last year was I just I took down the I wrote down every rep that every D line will take. And I would keep coach up to date as far as, hey, this guy's at this amount of reps. You may need to give him a break here at this point in time. Like, I was doing all the math and numbers behind what would be most effective for our D-line as far as the rest they needed and um, how many snaps they should play or could play um, well. And I did that. I would help with drills. Sometimes you'll see me holding pylons. I mean, uh, holding uh, first down markers. I would, do, I, would, I was doing a little bit of everything. But technically, my role is as a chaplain 
for the basketball team and football team, I would do all the chapel services. Um, I would also do different um, meetings with athletes as well outside of campus. So I have small groups with guys. I have football groups. I have basketball groups. And I have also a hybrid group as well. And I meet with several athletes in different sports together. But outside of that, I feel like God called me to do more than just the ministry side. So that's why I volunteered to say, Coach, what do you need? I'm not just talking ministry-wise. What do you need, period? He's like, well, I need somebody to do this and do that. I'm like, I'll do it. I'll do that too as well. So for basketball, I'm the I'm the um, the center. Yeah, for, he's for a the, practice post player. Yeah, I'm a practice post player for the opposing team. Well, I was going to bring up basketball because, especially in the last year or so, Coach mm-hmm. Pilato has really brought you in, yeah. and you were at almost were you at every road game last yeah. year? It seemed every, like you were. Every, every one of them, I got a chance to go on, and it's just our, my relationship with Pilato has has grown so much. Because um, as any parent who parent a child will be nervous about a, no, a random guy coming in, I was that random guy coming into his program saying, hey, this is what I want to do. He's like, uh, let me fill you out first. <laughs> you know. And the first few years, he, he, he grown to trust me. And then now he got to a point where he's like, listen, you can't go nowhere else. You got to be around. <laughs> we, our guys need you. Our coaches need you as well. And uh, I want you to be around our program, which says so much in turn because um, I, I love Bilotto. I love the whole staff up there. And I, I mean – being able to travel with them and disciple those guys and do life with them every, you know, almost every day now, you know, I'm at either basketball or football. I'm, I'm doing both. Um, and I get a chance to literally every single day while sweating with them, getting a little workout into pour into coaches and athletes while also um, getting a chance to travel with them and spend time with them in the hotel rooms and have conversations that they wouldn't have at a local church sometimes. Because most of the guys I disciple, if I'm being honest with you, they don't go to a local church, which I'm trying to get them into a local church, but they want to have conversations with you at their convenience. So I may be up at 2 o'clock in the morning in the hotel room talking to an athlete about why, why what's the value in marriage? Like That's literally a question that I, had to, I talked to a guy for two weeks about. Why, why should I stop doing what I'm doing and get married instead? You know, uh, Or I'll pursue marriage later in life. So it's just those simple things. It may be simple to some, but it's big time to me because what we don't see enough of is, is men in the homes, leading their families well. So if I can have an effect on that now, before these guys graduate college, leave college, because again, the reality is 1.5%. If I can work on that 98.5% of people and put them in the homes, allow them to lead their families well, not just be present, I mean, not just be there, but be present in the home as well. That's that's changing, not just the city, that's yeah. changing. That's changing wherever they go back home to as well, and hopefully that cha- affect our world. That's 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 my big vision. Is I want to I want to impact this world through these athletes as well too. So, if you're dealing with an athlete that had an upbringing like yours, how much does it help knock the walls down if you kind of know exactly where he's been quickly, quickly? As I can I can listen to it. See, most people look at the position I'm in now and think, oh man, you know, they don't understand where I come from. So when I when I bring them in on, hey, listen, brother, your story ain't nowhere close to, uh, to being as different from my story. The walls go down almost immediately. I can remember athletes like Malik Brevard, who's a who's a Muslim. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he told me some of his story. I'm like, brother, I've been there. And I, I, I let him, and before you know it, now he's meeting with me, um, sitting down with me, uh, having conversations that he probably wouldn't have with anybody else, you know. Other guys as well on the team. My story, what I've gone through, opens up doors for conversations with people that um, I wouldn't normally have, normally have conversations with at all. People almost immediately able to trust what I say as legit because they say, if you were able to go through all of what you're going through and be where you are now, there's a chance for me. that I have hope that it'll work out for me too. Well, and and I love that the FCA reps 
at Arkansas State and in mm-hmm. Northeast Arkansas. Yes. We talk about Northeast Arkansas FCA. All three student athletes at Arkansas State, mm-hmm. and we mentioned Todd Baumgartner, yep. but yourself and Justin Clifton. Exactly, exactly. Who was who was a guy that we got a, we we both got a chance to disciple as well, which is crazy. We look at Justin Clifton, who could have went to the next level and played the next level, but chose to follow a calling. Well, Todd go. was the same way. He, yes. he had a chance to go play at the next level. Absolutely. And it's it's it just shows the power that now he's now you see you look at Justin he's married got it you know got his wife Erica uh, Clifton as well and and literally he's able to change because f- his dad went around either for his bro- his four brothers and he's able to already change history alone at, and, at, and at the, the high season. school level he's at, doing what you're doing with absolutely the high school guys. have you did you hear about the seven oh seven tournament FCA tournament that went on with all these we had like five four or five different schools at Jonesboro High it was phenomenal uh, several kids came out the gospel was shared as well but guys had a great time and, and man everybody loves Jay Cliff <laughs> you know yeah. at, the, at these schools coaches yeah. players all of them so it's a phenomenal deal a phenomenal setup we have here you guys do a lot of cooking don't you oh yes <laughs> Love to cook. I <laughs> love it. Love well, it. Well, and that's the the best way to form these relationships. Yeah. I mean, you, you cook a lot. Mm-hmm. You have people over to your house, yeah. and you form these bonds. Yeah, and also, also, I'm doing something this year as well that I'm revisiting. Um, I got I I call different supporters, people who support the ministry, so they can get an inside look on what's going on. See, because it's easy for me to say, hey, can you support the ministry? Uh, and what I'm doing, and give X amount of dollars a month. But hey, can, hey! Can I welcome you in to see what I'm see what you, what your support is doing? How about this? How about I buy some pieces, clip some space for maybe about twenty kids? We'll come and do a study at your house, and you can get a firsthand look at what we do. And that's a good way to kind of wrap this up. And I know we've covered a lot, but especially after hearing this, I'm sure there's a lot of folks that want to know how they can support yeah. you, support the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. What what can our fans do to support you well first off um be, be praying that's the biggest thing be praying for um praying for northeast arkansas pray for me my family todd his family justin cliff and his family and and also yes if you if you are at a place where you feel like man i, I want to support that i want to see more lives change on this campus i want to help you guys give out the bibles you give feed these athletes because it costs a lot of money to feed these athletes as well we feed them every, every I, week. I would think so yeah every, every week we're doing some we're doing food for them um so if you if you do want to support that, then please, you know, you can either visit our FCA page. I have mine connected to my website, DariusDunaway.com, and you can see all the things that's been done as well. Or you can reach out to me, and I can leave my phone number as well, uh, 318-348-1312. You can reach out to me, text me, call me, and I can walk you through um, the needs we have and how you could be a part of helping us. We're looking for, we're looking for monthly supporters that can help us or even yearly one-time supporters because I know some companies may – Look at giving donations at the end of the year. Those help. Man, we, we take anything we can get to help us continue to do this thing full time. I don't know if it's something Darius has said one time or a hundred. He can put it on T-shirts, but I, I got to tell this as, as a way to at least wrap it up for me. 60, 70 years from now, they could put it on his tombstone. <laughs> David Gunn is now the head football coach of Paragold High School. Yeah. And uh, when they had the press conference introducing him, I was there, Darius was there. And when it was over, we kind of got, the two of us, we kind of got circled by these folks who were asking a bunch of questions about Arkansas State football. And this, mm-hmm. What's this like? And what's that like? And this person and that person. And just pow, pow, pow. And eventually he sort of summed it up. He just said, I just stay in my lane and tell folks about Jesus. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 
I stay in my lane. Yeah, I, I'm gonna tell you that every single time. They, it, people ask me questions. What's going on with this? I stay in my lane. Whenever they need me, I step up. I'm telling them about Jesus and I help wherever I can help. So that's well, exactly what I do. There is. We appreciate you doing that every single day. And it's a privilege to have you in studio today. But man, you're just such a great friend mm-hmm. and yeah. always great to see you. Buddy. Well, I'm thankful to you guys for inviting me to be up here. And I appreciate you guys and what y'all do too, man. That what you do doesn't go unnoticed, man. I appreciate seeing y'all and how hard, y'all, how hard you guys work as well. And and making our university what it is, you know, um, y'all got hard jobs, <laughs> hard jobs. So I'm thankful to you guys. And I know in about 30 minutes, coach going to text me because we got bigs, we got bigs on um, practice today. And <laughs> so he gonna probably need me <laughs> holding some bags. So thanks for giving me time to, to speak and, and share, share truth. That's Darius Dunaway joining us here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We've got more to come right after this. The Simmons Bank Card Alerts app lets you get more from your Simmons debit and credit cards. Set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert. You can suspend your card, set a spend limit, or decline specific transaction types. You can even manage multiple cards. So get more control, more convenience, and more peace of mind with your Simmons Bank debit and credit cards. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. Wrapping things up here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Man, what a guy. What a guy Darius Dunaway is, and his story, unlike any you'll ever hear, but I always look forward to seeing him. And when we go out to practices or we're on road trips, you see Darius and, and you can't help but smile because that's what he's doing that's most right. of the time. No, I was going to say, I mean, the next time you see that guy not smiling, it'll be the first. And so you're right. You can't hardly help but smile with him. And if you shake hands with him, you're not just shaking hands with him, you're getting a hug too i mean it's just uh, uh he's as good as they come i'm mean, really uh, all three of those guys that uh we've got now working with fca in the area with with bomb and and darius and justin clifton it is cool that they're all three arkansas state athletes but man they're they're doing great work across lots of age groups and levels Looking ahead to this week, uh, again, you know, the, the calendar, not what it usually is now that we're into the summer months, but I do want to remind folks, Larry Lacewell's memorial service is coming up this Friday, 6 until 9. The public can come out to First National Bank Arena and you know, pay their respects to the all-time winningest coach in A-State football history. I don't know what that ceremony is going to look like, but I can tell you this, there'll be a bunch of laughs. I, oh, I, I, I can promise you that because there's going to be stories told about a guy that <laughs> there's plenty to be told about. So, yeah, I'm sure it'll be quite the scene. All right. Anything we need to talk about before we uh, you know, I, I told you, I, I told you, hopefully I wouldn't come here this week and need to talk a lot about, ran a lot about the golf weekend and because uh, I played with my wife. See, I, I haven't even heard how this went yet. You know, uh <laughs> so uh, i know we're going long here but it, it was in the end it was fine i didn't think we played very well at all on saturday in fact i thought we played poorly on saturday apparently my wife didn't because we had that was a whole conversation from saturday when in the middle of the round when i pointed out to her well we're playing bad that was news to her because she thought apparently she just thought she was playing okay but yeah the, the she, we part she play, took yeah, offense she, to. she did and uh, well, that was a, a good topic of conversation. And then she said, I did my part. Well, Where yeah, were you? I, I said, well, we're playing bad. And she said, well, I didn't think I was playing that bad. And I said, well, I mean, 
you're on this team and this team's not performing very well. I mean, what what other things can that mean? But in the end, uh, I guess it wasn't as bad as we thought on Saturday because we didn't shoot ourselves out of it and we were able to you know, come back and play a little bit better uh, Sunday and tie for first in our flight. All right. The, 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 so it, it, there, there wasn't anybody sandbagging or anything like that. No, and people might have thought we were, but I'm just saying we were just that bad. Because I, I, I don't have it in me. Listen, if I don't have it in me to sandbag. I'm just that naturally skilled at being bad. But we, we played better uh, Sunday. But the, the only thing I'd say is, that, you know, of course, I won't say where we were because I'm not really calling anybody out. But I did think it was an interesting decision. They, they waited till right up before, right up to Friday to decide when to play. And there were enough, the, the number of teams in it was enough that you could go on one tee time. And so they decided to make it one o'clock Saturday. Well, that's okay. No big deal. We're thinking, I you know, we wish it was earlier because we got to drive to get to this place, but we can live with it. Then they get everybody gathered around before play starts Saturday. And they say, hey, all right, so uh, just let you know, tomorrow, same thing, tea time, everybody's going off at one o'clock. I'm like, can they, these dudes, they don't get the forecast here? You can pick. You get to pick when this thing starts, and you're choosing it to start at one o'clock when it's going to be 184 degrees. That's clearly a decision made by somebody not playing. It's brutally hot. Yes, it is. Again, thanks to Darius Dunaway for coming in and being a part of today's episode. Had a whole lot of fun with him. We look forward to talking to everybody again next week on another edition of the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank.